Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio. A very happy holidays to you and yours alongside John Eads. I'm Ian Unsworth. As we are in the season of giving, Syracuse is giving us some good and some bad. The basketball team on a COVID postponement. The football team giving us some new gifts, bringing them in from around the country. And the men's lacrosse team serving up the biggest of them all, the 2022 season schedule. We'll talk about it all here on Fizz Radio. Remember to check out our stuff at Orange Fizz on Twitter and also at orangefizz.net. But John, we've got to start with the basketball team. Second year in a row that Syracuse has had games postponed, canceled. I mean, it's looking like these non-con games are going to get canceled altogether. They're on the shelf because of COVID. Yeah, I don't think there's much of a reason to postpone these games and play them later on because, what, it's Lehigh and Cornell, right? Those should be wins on paper. I wouldn't really want to go through the headache of playing those games during the ACC slate when you got to worry about teams like North Carolina and Duke and uh, some of the other uh, better teams in the ACC, NC State, Virginia Tech, for example. Um, It's a little unfortunate. Before we get into the basketball, you know, I just want to say, like, We got through college football season and most of the NFL season with little to no problems with COVID, and now it's starting to roar up again and rear its ugly head, and it's a little disappointing, but I think we're a little bit better suited to deal with it this year because they had this situation last season, and we've heard from Jim Beheim actually, that the team is handling it a little bit better, so hopefully everybody can get back to full strength and 100% in the next week or so, and SU can get back on the floor. They actually got a game coming up, though. Yeah, Beheim said that because most of his team had – had COVID before and also was fully vaccinated and they also got the booster shots that there weren't actually many illnesses going around. It seemed like people just had the virus and were asymptomatic. Last year, people got really sick, Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard included, and you could definitely tell that they're, that affected their games once they got back on the court. And as for Syracuse's next game, it is Brown, out of really out of the woodwork on Actually, it's right after Christmas. The, the The Brown Bears are coming to SU. I mean, no one really expected it to happen, but then again, Syracuse needs the game. So it's on December 27th. It is a 6 p.m. tip on a Monday. Uh, a pretty interesting time, all things considered, but hey, you get the game in when you can get the game in. Yeah, and I think this team definitely still needs one more outing, one more contest before they get into ACC play because SU opens up with Georgia Tech. And I don't know I don't know about you, Ian, but the team that I saw against Georgetown a couple weeks ago is not ready to compete in the conference just yet. Now, I'm not calling Brown a tune-up game because this is a good team, and we'll get into the Bears in just a minute. But this team needs to hit the floor one more time, especially after this COVID pause, and you're going to miss a lot of practices, and the players are probably going to be a little out of shape. I mean, you're not playing, you're not really exercising, for a week or two right so I think this game was needed I'm glad that they scheduled it and I think this will make up for the two that they're going to lose and like I said they definitely need to play this game before they start to get into the thick of things in the ACC Uh, I like how you said that Brown is isn't a slouch team John because I think that's that's a very accurate assessment they're eight and five and 
they played North Carolina pretty early on in the season when North Carolina was ranked and expectations were high for the Tar Heels, and they only lost by seven. This is not a team that's going to get pushed over. I mean, let's see, other high D1 schools, they lost by 21 to Creighton. They lost to Colorado by two, um, beat Bradley by three. I mean, I don't know how much you guys are tapped into basketball culture year after year, but Bradley usually is not that bad. And then other than that, uh, they just lost to Vermont. Uh, that was their last game. They lost to the Catamounts on December 10th. Uh, give a shout-out to Jake Marsh uh, in Vermont basketball. But Brown is a team that's not going to, a lot like a lot of these Ivy schools, uh, they're not going to get you know mentally phased early on. No, and they've played some pretty tough competition, like you said. The thing with them that I do want to point out is they haven't played since December 10th, and I think Syracuse played on the 11th. So they're both kind of coming off of pretty long breaks uh, in between games here, but they have really scheduled very tough in the non-conference. So I, I think they're battle-tested. They've played some tough games thus far, and they haven't had any issues with COVID either. So while they haven't played in a little over two weeks, they've still been practicing, and all the players are still at full strength. So this is a team that could come into the Dome and beat Syracuse, and if the Orange aren't ready to go. I would I would think so. I mean, after we saw the Colgate game, uh, any I think anything's on the table. It's a little scary to say, but with Syracuse right now, you you really don't know what you're going to get from this team, besides inconsistency. Whether that's on coming off the bench, whether that's on the, on the glass, whether that's breaking a press, even John Syracuse. Yes, they have a layoff, but. They're going to have a lot of time to practice, and at least, if not practice, at least watch film, meet over Zoom, and for Coach Bayheim and the rest of the staff to go over things and, you know, right some wrongs. What do you think is the first thing that the SU coaches are pointing to in the film room or on the practice That's court? difficult because we've looked at this defense. It's terrible. The 2-3, the 1-3-1. One, one. I mean, the adjustment worked in that Indiana game, but... Once SU did that, other teams were able to scout that and find out ways to beat it. And we saw what Pat Ewing did in the second half of the Georgetown game, just putting Aminu Muhammad in the middle of the zone and torching Syracuse from all over the floor. He had 20 points in the second half was the difference in that game. So I think the biggest problem right now is that defense, and I think that's what they're really going to try to correct. But th this team has a whole lot of other problems. They don't have consistent shooting and scoring from Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard. Actually, I'm writing an article right now, and you can check it out at orangefizz.net that Jimmy Beheim is the number one scorer for this team, and he's the most consistent player on this team because he simply is. Another problem that Syracuse has is they're not dipping into the bench, and I understand that that's something that Jim Beheim hasn't done in the 40-plus years he's been at Syracuse, but the Orange have guys on the bench that can contribute. That was evidenced in the Georgetown game in the first half, and I think they need to use that going forward. What about you, though? I'm, I'm really with you on the bench. I mean, there's been a lot out there. Uh, I would say conflicting opinions on what the bench should be doing for Jim Beheim this year. They're only playing 17% of minutes, of available minutes. That's not going to cut it. And some people say that Saimir Torrance is a turnover machine. I think that's I think that's an absurd take. I think Saimir needs some more time. Some people say that Benny Williams is not ready. We hear the not ready label all the time, but I think Benny Williams has to be on the floor, especially in this upcoming game against Brown, where he's going to be the best athlete on either team. 
that sees the floor. He needs to be on the court to grow. And, I mean, Frank Anselm, I would say the same for him as well. We've seen flashes from Frank Anselm, but we've also seen him turn into a space cadet. How do you keep him locked in? Keep him on the floor, all right? Because that's, that is where guys are going to learn and improve, especially after a COVID layoff. Sometimes those first two first couple practices, like you said, John, guys might be out of shape. It might be a little bit of a slog fest. Just put them on the court. You know, the bright lights are going to hit them in the face. And I think against Brown, it's okay if Syracuse has a deer in the headlights moment or two from one of its bench guys, right? Because you can recover from that. You cannot recover from it against Georgia Tech or a Virginia Tech or even a better team in the ACC. Yeah, and like you said, we've seen flashes from all three of those guys. I and mean, if they're being productive, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't have them on the floor because they can affect the game on the offensive and defensive end. And just bring up Frank Anselm as an example. I mean, he posterized Mutombo's son, right? That was certainly a flash. And then he was able to get behind the defense in the transition game as well. Plus, he was active on the defensive side. He was the only bench player that saw time in the second half. I think he played only three minutes. But Benny Williams, Samir Torrance played a majority of minutes against Georgetown in the first half. Didn't see the floor at all in the second. And they, too, played well, I thought. We saw Samir Torrance get to the rack with a dribble drive and a, and a lay-in for a deuce. And Benny Williams had a spinning layup as well. Uh, I, think they, I think all three of those guys need to continue to see the floor. And I don't think that's dipping into the bench too far. I don't think we're just doing it for the purpose of doing it, to go through the motions. They all deserve to be playing, and I think they need to play more minutes because what we're seeing from the other starting five members is just not going to cut it right now. Uh, and sometimes it is that spark off the bench that inspires a team to a big win. And it, it's really for no rhyme or reason, but sometimes a basketball team changes sometimes a matchup changes an assignment changes and an opposing team isn't ready for a bench player and I mean that might be the case for Brown all things considered I don't think Brown should be able to hang with Syracuse but then again we're not writing anybody off right now Brown's best player at least scoring average wise comes off the bench crazy to say but Brown's best scorer Keno Lilly Jr. comes off the bench he's only started one game this season for the Bears Come off the pine in the remaining 12. He's shooting 40% exactly from three, averaging 12.2 points per game. I mean, that, he's, the, he's their smallest player that usually plays in their rotation. He also leads the team in minutes. I mean, it's, it's safe to say that bench production might not be a problem for Brown. They have seven to eight dudes that will play regularly. John, I, will, I do need to hear the inside info, though, on Dan Friday, uh, because the other... Uh, brown guard from a place you know very near right. and dear. Yeah, Dan and I went to high school together. We sat next to each other actually in physics class. A really bright kid, obviously, because he's playing basketball in an Ivy League school at Brown. Big dude. Big dude. I mean, I, I don't know if the co football coaches at Brown have talked to him about potentially playing running back. He's 6'4", 225. Guy's an absolute tank. And he's I mean, he's good at basketball, too, obviously. He's averaging uh, just south of 10 points per game. And he's a beast in the paint as well. Uh, grabs rebounds on the offensive and defensive side. I watched him play against North Carolina. He was hanging in there. He was taking a lot of shots. I think that might be one of his flaws, though. Sometimes he gets a little bit too selfish with the basketball and will hunt his shot when he should be moving it around and trying to work it around to other players. But Dan Friday is an absolute tank. He's going to be a really tough cover for Syracuse because this guy will get physical, and I don't know that there's anybody on this Syracuse team that can match that physicality.
Yeah, I would say so. But I think speaking of physicality, again, a big plus here for SU. And this is this is mid-major basketball. You're not going to have massive dudes on the inside. Brown's biggest player, Jalen Ganey, is just 6'9". And they have a couple other forwards that will play, but none of them are really topping that mark. So again, Jesse Edwards, Frank Anselm should have a pretty clear advantage when it comes to the glass, at least boxing out-wise and having that length. Actually, one of Brown's leading rebounders is one of their forwards, Temenang Cho, who averaged 7.7 rebounds per game. So Jalen Ganey isn't even their leading rebounder, even though he's the biggest guy on the court. Yeah, and on top of that, there's not a lot of size to this team as well. If you look at their starting five, most of the players are between the range of 6'1 and 6'6. So Jesse Edwards and Frank Anselm, even Cole Swider, should have a decided, and Jimmy Beheim too, should have a decided size advantage in the paint. So I don't think there's any way that Syracuse should struggle on the glass in this contest. And when Syracuse hasn't struggled to get the rebounds, they've played well. So that's certainly something to keep in mind. One other thing to keep in mind, uh, three-point shooting. Because teams have killed SU by shooting a crap ton of threes. But I don't think that's going to be the case with Brown because the Bears only shoot 32% as a team from behind the arc. So hopefully this isn't this isn't the contest where things get scary because Brown is launching 40 plus three pointers in the game. I th- I think that worry should be quelled pretty quickly. Yeah, and on top of that, they only score 64 points per game. And yeah, the Syracuse defense has been bad this year, but the offense has been pretty consistent. Syracuse is typically able to put up at least 80 points per game. You know, So I don't really... It, it's kind of like the Big 12 football. right? You don't really care what your defense does. Hopefully you do just enough. But on the offensive side, they'll take care of business. Um, and I'm certainly looking out to see if Buddy Beheim can bounce back because he's shooting under 28% from three. That's a full 10% decrease from last season. And he just hasn't been consistent this year. He hasn't lived up to that preseason first team all ACC billings. That's another thing to watch with this contest. Certainly doesn't seem like a year where Buddy Beheim can wait till March to get hot, but right now it's looking like a bit more of that. We'll see what Beheim and the rest of the Orange can do against Brown. That game is on December 27th. It's a 6 p.m. tip-off on the Monday after Christmas. Hope you all are having a happy holidays. This is Fizz Radio alongside John Eads. I'm Ian Unsworth. We're heading to a quick break afterwards. Syracuse football. It's Christmas season, also bowl season, and some teams have to drop out. Should the 5-7 and seven Orange accept an infight? We'll debate the pros and cons after the break. Back on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and John Eads with you. Happy holidays, of course. And Syracuse football might be in the bowl spirit because five and seven teams, first Rutgers, and, well, I guess nothing's going on in the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, glad for Memphis that they get some time down there. But five and seven teams are on the cusp, John, of getting invitations to bowl games this year because of COVID. Yeah, it's a weird season. That's just how it is. I'm not really surprised. This has actually happened before, I think. I think there have been five and seven teams in previous years that have gone to bowl games because there's like a conference tie-in, right? And uh, no other team could go, so this five and seven team had to go. So it's pretty interesting. So what we're talking about, if you missed it, is the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. It was supposed to be Texas A&M and Wake Forest. It have been a really exciting matchup. Too bad it's not happening anymore. A&M had a dropout because of they, they had too many COVID cases. They couldn't bring a 
big enough roster to play. They drop out. So then the first call goes to Illinois. They decline or couldn't go or something uh, because they were 5-7 and seven and they weren't expecting to play in a bowl game, right? Uh, same call goes to Rutgers. They accept the bid. So now they'll have nine days of preparation to get this bowl game in. Now, it sucks, but this is a great opportunity to get some more practices in for this team and, of course, compete in a bowl game because Rutgers hasn't been good in a long time, usually at the doormat of the Big Ten Conference. So good for them. The discussion that we want to have, though, is should Syracuse get one of those uh, invitations should the opportunity present itself? Whew. It's, it's really tough to look at the college football landscape and say... What other 5-7 and seven team, besides Illinois, who you already pointed out, John, is more deserving of a bowl berth than Syracuse? Of course, I don't have the, the whole list of 5-7 and seven teams you know, written down on my palm, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you many other schools unless there's somebody in the Pac-12 who I completely forgot about. And wait, Washington's in a bowl, right, John? I don't think so. I don't think they Are broke they five 500. Are they 5-7? Yeah. But, oh gosh! Uh, here's the thing, though. Syracuse played so many teams so competitive this year. I think they would at least be competitive against whatever team they would line up against. But the other side of this is Rutgers is going to this bowl game, right? Syracuse played Rutgers in week two. What'd they do? They lost. I think that was the game, obviously, that Syracuse had to win because if they win that game, for one, they go 6-6, six and six, so they're bowl eligible anyways. But you can't lose to Rutgers and then get into a bowl game over them with the same record. That's that's the other debate. Yeah, well, uh, that's I think that's pretty clear. And uh, the college football playoff committee had some head-to-head debacles during the middle of the season, but it should be pretty cut and dried when we're not talking about the playoff. We're talking about what is essentially a revenue grab for whatever athletic department is getting this invite. I mean, the bowl game means absolutely nothing. And I wrote an article on Orange Fizz yesterday you can check it out at orangefizz.net. At Syracuse should not take an invite to a bowl game. And I've got a, I've got a couple of issues with this whole thing. First of all, you got to earn it, man. You got you got to be 6 and 6 and not only the Rutgers game, but Dino Babers had so many opportunities to win that 6th game, right? We think about the Wake Forest game. Think about Florida State Think about Clemson. And those are just bad decision after bad decision. Like, this is something where I'm I'm not in either category right now, like fire Dino or keep Dino. I I, I don't really, I'm not someone who's leaning either way on that right now, but it skews his resume, right? We can't look at this bowl game through an objective lens in the coming years. Is it, are we counting now five and seven as good enough for Dino Babers and crew because they made a bowl game and that seems to be the expectation around here? I, I don't think it should be because you could have easily hit that six and six benchmark. Yeah. No, like five and seven is not going to cut it. And if you're bringing in a coach to go five and seven, who wants to be a fan of that program? Who wants to watch that team? Who wants to support that team? If you're in a power five, if you're in the power five in a conference like the ACC, especially, your goal every year should be to win the national championship. But let's be realistic. I mean, Syracuse is not in a position to win the national championship in today's day and age of college football. So your next goal should be win the ACC, win your division, or go to a bowl game. 
None of those were met this season, and we're kind of getting into a separate debate now, which is what are the expectations for Dino Babers. But, um, yeah, I I'm with you. I don't think this team should accept a bull bid, especially because they don't have a team right now. Syracuse's entire team is at home in the transfer portal and not ready to play football, which is the point. Uh, it would just be an embarrassment if this team tried to put together some makeshift roster and go to this bowl game and just get clapped again by Wake Forest. It would probably be uh, worse than the first matchup, which was pretty close. But, yeah, I'm starting to go off on a tangent. What I'm saying is this team is not in a position to play in a bowl game. They should not accept a bowl bid. They should earn it, like you said. Well, and to go off of your point, there are guys at home for the holidays. There are guys that graduated in December and are looking at the next phase of their life, may it, whether it might be trying to get an NFL spot, preparing for the draft, maybe it's looking for a job. Dudes are not thinking about football right now. That's that's the long and short of it. It's also, we're also in the midst of the holiday season. Happy holidays, uh, whatever you may celebrate. But people are at home with their families. I, I would not be excited. I hate to say it, but I would not be excited about waking up on December 26th and getting that call at 8 a.m. from my position coach, who Syracuse by the, does not have position coaches. They do not have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, let's put this all out there. Sterling Gilbert's not coaching the bowl game. Um, yeah, so would, who, who's calling you and saying, hey, you got to fly back to Syracuse right now because in six days we're going to play in the, the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl? I, I, I'd just be like, I would be pretty frustrated, all things considered. I would not be happy uh, because I'm not going to have time to prepare. Right? Rutgers has nine days. That's I don't think that's enough. You have to ramp your body up to play football. That's why there's spring ball. That's why there's fall camp. That's why there's OTAs over the summer. So dudes can get used to hitting again, right? You, you don't just walk in to the football facility and start cracking pads no, you have warm-up days, and you ramp up to get ready for that sort of thing. So that's that's one big problem. That kind of leads me into my next point. I'll, I'll pass it off to you for this. But one injury, and this Syracuse football team is doomed for 2022. Yeah, I think we all know. I guess you, you could say two, but definitely one. Uh, you don't want to risk Sean Tucker for next season for a meaningless bowl game. That literally I, does nothing for you, except maybe earn your athletic department a couple extra thousand bucks. And you, uh, you know spend... Tucker would play, too. Tucker right. would play because he's just that kind of dude. And if Tucker didn't play, this team would lose by 60 points every single game because he is literally the entire team. Uh, but there's literally no point in playing this game. There's no point in risking injury. Uh, I think Syracuse should continue to do what it's doing, which is fire coaches, look for better coaches, and hit the transfer portal and recruiting trail hard because this team is not in a position to win a bowl game right now, and they shouldn't be playing in a bowl game because that would just be an absolute abomination to college football. Although it would get John Wildhack some extra money, so I mean... Yeah, yeah, I guess... money to waste on a terrible offensive coordinator from McNeese State who literally does jack. Yeah, I mean, we, we can debate the merits of John Wildhack another day, but hey, that's, that's neither here nor there right now. However, talking about the transfer portal, Syracuse did go out and pick themselves up a second transfer for this upcoming year. This time, it's a running back from New Mexico State, Jawan Price. He is five foot ten, one hundred ninety-five pounds. He's got three years of eligibility remaining after starting for the Aggies last year. John, I think first of all, this is just good that we have depth 
in the Syracuse running back room um, because right now Tucker's number two would be Josh Huff, who did not play a snap of football this year. And it's also a bit of like the scat back. I know you and I talked about this with Jaron May on the, the Fizz's National Signing Day podcast. Tucker is is that thunder, but you don't really have the lightning. Yeah, this is a big pickup because Syracuse had no compliment for Sean Tucker last year. It was it was 34, and then it was Cooper Lutz and Abdul Adams. Neither of those two guys bring something explosive to the table. Cooper Lutz is like a lesser Sean Tucker, way lesser Sean Tucker. I don't even want to put him in the same category. No no disrespect to Cooper Lutz, Sean, of Sean Tucker's like a Cadillac, and Cooper Lutz is like a Camry. Yeah, we can go with that. That's a good way to describe it, actually. And then you had Abdul Adams, who... I don't know. What do you want me to say? <laughs> Nothing. Let's move on. Uh, Juwan Price is a perfect fit for this offense. Really good pickup on the recruiting trail because he can add that receiving dimension to this offense. Syracuse didn't really have a guy out of the backfield who could catch passes. Like Tucker got a little bit of run in the receiving game, but that was against Albany and early on in the season. We really didn't see it that much come ACC play, and it just adds a different dimension to this offense. Price had 26 catches for 181 yards last season at New Mexico State, on top of the fact that he had 692 yards on the ground with 10 touchdowns. So he can be a threat both as a runner and a receiver, and it's just something that Syracuse didn't have last year, and he can also do some things on special teams as well, which I'll get into or you can get into if you'd like. Yeah, I I just thought about two-back sets. That's something that really intrigues me this upcoming year. And who knows, at, at, at a certain point, Price might have to play slot receiver because that's what we saw Trevor Pena doing last year. He wasn't half bad. But if you're Syracuse, you need to amass as many weapons as possible and get them on the football field because there can't be zeros like Sherrod Johnson just lining up to drop passes. Right, everybody knew when Sherrod Johnson was on the field. Eh, I mean, they can throw the ball towards him. There's a 50-50 chance that a play is going to be made. They don't have to worry about Sherrod Johnson. You could just stick a freshman corner over there and leave him on an island. Syracuse needs more dynamic playmakers. That is the long and short of it. And I think Price is one of those guys. You bring him in there, two back sets, jet sweep motions, whatever it may be, like pop passes, wildcat quarterbacks. Like just let's have some fun with Jawan Price. Yeah. No, definitely. And it's just something that Syracuse didn't have last season. It was Garrett Schrader, it was Sean Tucker, it was Courtney Jackson, and it was Devon Cooper. That was pretty much this entire offense, and it really just limited the options for Sterling Gilbert and Dino Babers on the play-calling aspect. And it's a reason why this offense's ceiling was super low and why they were last in the ACC in pretty much every single category. So I love this pickup. We know Dino Babers said that his class was about 50% done on early signing day, and he was still adding pieces and weapons, and this was a great way to start. There's more guys on the trail I'd like to see Syracuse get, but this was a great way to start. And I mentioned before that he could be a threat on the special teams as well. Price also had 20 kick returns last year for 398 total yards and a long of 58. So he could definitely add something there as well, especially with Cooper Lutz gone because he was one of SU's kick returners last year. So this is an A-plus pickup for me if I'm giving this a grade. I think it's probably the best pickup, regardless of high school or transfer, uh, so far that the SU staff has reeled in in this recruiting class. Of course, uh, there's the four-star from Albany whose name's escaping me right now. Jared Verse, yes. He would be great to get for the Orange because I know that Florida State and you know bigger more powerful football names are looking at him, but if he stays in state, 
That would also be huge for SU. We'll see what Dino Babers and company can do on the transfer portal, and we'll see what that staff looks like in the coming months. Of course, keep it locked to Orange Fizz for all the coverage of SU's football's off-season exploits, but we're hitting the third phase of SU sports. Lacrosse is coming up. We'll talk about the SU men's lacrosse schedule, newly released after the break. This is Fizz Radio. Halfway through Fizz Radio, happy holidays alongside John Eads, I'm Ian Unsworth. And the greatest gift of them all, John, might be Gary Gates and the eternal optimism that Syracuse men's lacrosse presents the 315 every spring. Because if there's one team that it's at least going to be a potential title favorite every single offseason, it is the SU men's lax team. Yeah, I mean, I would say the women's as of late because the men's team has struggled in the recent past, but this is the best program in the history of Syracuse athletics, and especially with a guy like Gary Gate now in the fold coming over from that women's team, which he just took to the national championship. Of course, he has a pretty big past with this Syracuse lacrosse team, and he knows what he's doing. He's you know, he was an All-American here, and he played a, played a lot of minutes in an SU uniform. I think there's a lot of excitement around this team and around this program. He also hired some very good coordinators on both ends of the field to enhance and boost that. And the schedule they got is pretty ambitious, pretty daunting, but that's what you like to see when you expect, uh, you know, when you're expected to be one of the best teams in the nation year after year. Yeah, his coaches are, well, he's keeping Pat Marsh um, from formerly of Princeton, but he brought in Dave Petromala, um, one of regarded as one of the greatest defensemen to ever play college lacrosse. Uh, spent a lot of time coaching at North Carolina, and he is now here. Wait, was he at Hopkins or was he at North Carolina, Jeeds? Okay, Hopkins, yes. Um, who is? Yeah, it is a very strange move because SU does play Hopkins this year. Who's the guy at North Carolina? Why is it escaping me? Okay, there's another there's another P name at North Carolina that usually gets me tripped up. But yes, Dave Pritchamala, one of the greatest defensemen. He played at Hopkins, he coached at Hopkins, and Syracuse does play Hopkins this season. That's one of many, many, many tough games on this schedule. It starts with Holy Cross on February twelfth. Ho hum. Uh, but then things get extremely tricky because the second game on the SU schedule, the Orange welcome Maryland, a former Big East foe and the defending national runner-up. That doesn't get tough enough. Six days later, the Orange go down to Charlottesville and play the defending national champion, Virginia Cavaliers. And then these these names don't get any easier. Army, who blew Syracuse out last year to begin the season, comes to the Dome, uh, the Krauss-Simmons Trophy in Hobart. Then you got Hopkins, Stony Brook, eh. and then ACC play really starts with Duke and Notre Dame. Albany, Cornell. Cornell's going to be good. I mean, can't sleep on Cornell as a lacrosse school. And then end the year out with three very tough contests. There's a bit more space between them. But last three games of the year are at North Carolina. And then Virginia and Notre Dame both come to the Carrier Dome. 
Yeah, a lot of tough ones in there. Also some pretty interesting ones as well. I'm excited to see what Syracuse can do early on in the year against Maryland. We know the Orange struggled last season, lost to Army early on, and then they did come back and beat Virginia, but really took them a while to get their legs underneath them, and they finally figured it out towards the end of the year. But uh, a lot of, a lot of teams who Syracuse be looking to get their lunch money back from, talking about Duke, talking about Notre Dame, talking about North Carolina, a lot of teams that blew the doors off the Orange last year, and I think these guys that were on the team last year and Gary Gate knows the deal, too. He's played against these teams before. They'll be back, and they'll be hungry for wins against those squads. According to Lacrosse Reference, which is a Twitter account that runs a lot of analytics of sorts, if, if you can, I mean, you can do analytics on any sport nowadays, but for the lacrosse analytics community, um, Lax Reference, at Lax Reference on Twitter, says that Syracuse has an average win probability this season of 53%. 53%. So does that that mean they'll win 53% of games or 53% each game? I would say I would say 53% of games seems to be the more sensible one for me, but here's the number that sticks out to me. Syracuse has the seventh most difficult schedule out of the 65 teams in D1 men's lacrosse with five or more games scheduled. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me because the ACC is so good anyways, right? You have to play those teams every season. But they stacked up their non-conference slate with a bunch of really good teams. And if that's how you want to make the tournament, winning those games, uh, getting getting your RPI up, improving that strength of schedule, that's one way to do it. I'm not sure this is the year for that, though, because I think the Orange are going to be in the midst of a rebuild, personally. Well, SU could be rebuilding because they lost two of their best attacking players, Jamie Trimboli. And Steven Rafis. Rafis is now playing professional lacrosse, and he was the rookie of the year in the Premier Lacrosse League. An amazing talent, somebody that all that also led the team as a, a captain of sorts, as a rallying figure of sorts, a transfer from Holy Cross, actually, which is a kind of funny. But Rafis put the team on his shoulders at times, and of course Chase Scanlon's gone too. Uh, we don't have to say any more than that. Everybody already knows that situation, probably more than they know about the lacrosse team themselves. So Syracuse is without two of three starting attackers, and also it's talisman of a midfielder in Trimboli, who didn't really have a great senior, fifth-year senior season, but in 2020, before the pandemic, was on an absolute tear. Yeah, so that's who's gone, but Syracuse does still have some talent coming back. Ian, Tucker Dordovic, Brendan Curry, both named preseason All-Americans, and there were some young guys on last year's squad that really stepped up without Scanlon last year, talking about Owen Hiltz and Owen Siebold as well, and this team is still bringing in some big-time recruits year after year. So I think you know you, you can't sell before the season starts on this team. There's definitely some pieces, but it's going to be an uphill battle, especially I think on the defensive end, because that's where Syracuse really did struggle last year. Plus, you got to replace Drake Porter in goal. Well, the Orange brought in uh, a transfer from Virginia to try to do just that, and he'll battle with Harrison Thompson. Uh, John, I believe the transfer's name is Bobby. Is it Bobby? Mm. I'll get the name. I'll get the name. But who else does Syracuse okay. have? Bobby Gavin. Bobby well, Gavin. Well, Bobby Gavin. Okay. Yeah. Alex Rode is still at Virginia. They're, they're starting goalie. And Bobby Gavin started a couple of games last year and now he's coming to SU. But yeah, no Drake Porter is, is pretty weird 
to say for Syracuse because it seems like he's been around for the long haul. And Harrison Thompson, who played spot duty last year, I think is probably going to get the first crack at it, but Gavin will certainly give him competition. And on that SU defense, they've got Brett Kennedy back. Um, Nick DiPietro graduated, but there are a lot of guys that are going to have to learn the new system. I talked to one of the SU lacrosse players who said they were relearning everything from day one, like how to move with your stick, how to face guard an opponent. Dave Petromale is completely reworking SU's defensive system. Mm -hmm. As he should. I mean, he's one of the best defensive coordinators in the nation when it comes to college lacrosse. Uh, you can be a great coach all you want, though. You still need to have the pieces on the defensive side to run your system and actually perform. And I don't think Syracuse has that right now. They need some work at the defensive midfield position and at you know close defense as well. Uh, one thing I did want to say, though, on Bobby Gavin, because having a good goalie, a guy like Drake Porter who anchors your defense – the ball's got to go in the net for you to score, right? So your defense can be terrible, but if you got a dynamite goaltender, that he could certainly be an eraser, if you will, and wipe away some of those some of those issues. Uh, he was ACC Conference play, Defensive Player of the Week at one point last year. He had 13 saves against Army. He also had nine saves in a win over Loyola. So this is a guy that has seen some significant time and I think could step in and be the starter for this team in a year where they're going to need somebody that can hold it down between the pipes with a struggling defense. I would think so. I mean, one other big loss is Peter Durth. He was th the short stick defensive midfielder for SU. He would run from crease to crease almost with the ball in his stick and do some pretty darn good things. Guys bounced off Peter Durth. He was he was 6'4", 225, every bit of it. I mean, I thought that Peter Durth could have been a, a nice backup running back if Dino Babers was li ever looking for one. Yeah. No, he was a big dude. He was good on both ends. He also could score in the transition game on the offensive side. So that's another position where Syracuse will need to rebuild. And one other place that I'm kind of keeping my eye on this season is the face-off X. That's a place that was so blue-collar. I mean, we talk about the inconsistency with Syracuse basketball. This is even more inconsistent. You know, one day you have Jacob Fopp going off for 90% uh, face-off win percentage, and then the next time he can't buy a, a single one. Uh, so that's a place where Syracuse will need to hone in and improve this year as well because in games like Duke, UNC, and Notre Dame last year, the Orange were absolutely obliterated at that face-off X, and that was the difference most of the time in those games, and especially with a defense that's bad 6-on-6. Six six. Just imagine what would happen in a 6-on-5 scenario. So that's why SU brought in TD Ireland, who, if you don't know the name, is regarded as possibly the greatest face-off man in the history of college lacrosse. He played for uh, first Yale, I believe, then transferred to Denver, and he was dynamite for both of those squads. So he is now SU's volunteer assistant, and hopefully he gets FOP and, well, whoever's going to replace Danny Varello. Uh, we don't really know who that is yet, but hopefully he can get that unit right because Syracuse beat Virginia twice in the regular season last year. Both big surprises for, I would say, everybody, especially in that second game when SU was on the road and really trying for any hope to save its season. Syracuse won those two games against Virginia because Jacob Fopp dominated at the X. And like you said, John, you can have a terrible defense and have a good goalie to protect, you know, protect the net. You can have a terrible defense and win every faceoff 
and your defense never gets tested. Right. It's then a good defense, right? It's just weird. I mean, the same Syracuse team that gets bounced out of the tournament uh, early on beat the national champion twice. I don't know if it was just a good matchup for FOP or what the deal was, but Syracuse had UVA's number last year. But that was kind of the problem against everybody else. They were just inconsistent and couldn't get the job done. So that's what I'm hoping to see from Gary Gates' team this year. There's definitely pieces for this team to contend in the ACC. I'm not sure they're ready yet, but like I said, when you have those guys on your squad already, plus a guy like Gary Gate, who is just a lacrosse guru on, in, in the defensive coordinators, TD Ireland, like you mentioned, th this team is set up for success. I'm not sure if we'll see them hit that ceiling this year, but they're definitely able to do that in years to come, the years to come. Well, we'll see what Syracuse can do in the 2022 lacrosse year, starting with Holy Cross in the Dome on February 12th and right now SU across future at least solids they got the coordinators locked down I guess you have to be thankful for that and after the break we'll have everyone's favorite segment asking you what you're most looking forward to on the lacrosse schedule stay with us Saving the best for last on Fizz Radio, it's time for Fizz Feedback with John Eads. I'm Ian Unsworth, and John, as always, we put out the three polls on the Twitterverse for everybody to see. You can always check them out at Orange Fizz at the Bluebird. So, three this week, three different sports. We talked about all three, and I think for good reason, because there's you know different different intricacies that we're seeing with all three programs. So where do we start, John? What's the first poll you got? We're going to start with Syracuse basketball. So the feedback asks, what does Syracuse hoops need to improve the most during the layoff? Is it rebounding, three-point defense, bench scoring, or press break? Hmm. That, that's really tough, actually. I, I could see multiple different options being chosen because rebounding is always a problem. It's evergreen for SU. Uh, the three-point defense has really gotten them killed in some games this year. And and people are going to complain about the bench as well, all the time. But I'm going to say rebounding because I think that's the default answer for Syracuse basketball fans. You are correct. 53% of the votes going to rebounding, 27% to three-point defense, 16, about 70% to bench scoring, and then just 2.5% to press break. Should have done an option for all of the above, or A and B, not C, throwing it back to our days when we take history finals. But one for one, good work. All right, next up we got I'm football. Surpri I'm surprised. I'm surpri I just have to say, though, I'm surprised we didn't get more bench scoring. I, th yeah. I feel like usually people are, people are up in arms that the bench isn't doing more, especially this year when the bench actually isn't doing anything. I know, like, like I said, I wrote an article about this, and I tweeted it out, and you know, people just accept the fact that Bayheim doesn't use the bench, and this is like a common universal law, and there's no talking about it, there's no debating about it, it just happens, and that is what it is. So, I don't know. Just because you've done something some way for 40 years doesn't mean you can change it up if it means your team is going to be better. That I don't know. We, we can debate that till you know, the, the day's end, though. Anyways, let's talk football. Uh, should should 5-7 and seven SU football accept an invite to a bowl game if one comes open, yes or no? I mean, we both stand pretty firmly on this. No. Yep. I mean, you and I both agree, but Fizz Nation doesn't, I guess. 52% of the votes going to yes, 
48 say no, and there one there was one reply down low. Chauncey McCollins says, impossible to field a competitive team at this point. Agreed, Chauncey. Uh, I, I guess Fizz Nation wants a vacation? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I really couldn't tell you what the benefits of getting into a bowl game at this point are besides the athletic department money. Um, Extra practices? But, like, this isn't the same team that SU is going to have in six months from now, seven months from now, right? So, Yeah, well, I guess I guess have fun at the Gasparilla Bowl or wherever <laughs> Syracuse might get an invite to because it's, it's looking more and more probable by the day. Yeah, yeah, the way teams are dropping left and right. All right, third and final Fizz feedback. What games? What game? Excuse me. Are you most excited for on the newly released Syracuse lacrosse schedule? Virginia, Duke, Johns Hopkins, or other? Uh, do you want the others, or do you want me to just go with the three that we had? Well, uh, I mean, I I would say Duke because that matchup last year was an absolute classic. It went down to the wire. Both teams threw some serious punches, and Syracuse made a great comeback in the second half to make it uh, a neck-and-neck finish. So I'm saying Duke because that was a great game last year. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're always competitive on the basketball court and on the lacrosse field as well. 33% of the votes going to Duke, 32 roughly going to Johns Hopkins. So really close there between those two. UVA was in third, about 26% of the votes going to them. whole lot of replies. Uh, John F. Skazafava is excited for Maryland. We got two for Maryland. Actually, Robert Brown chimed in with a Terps vote. Uh, actually, make it three. Sam Bradshaw as well. So three votes for Maryland. And then Dome Nachos, heck of a name, uh, chimed in with Albany at Casey Stadium. And Ian and I were just talking about this. There's a football field at UAlbany. Jared Verse plays on. And then there's also a field like right off to the side of that one, which is about a quarter of the size. I'm hoping the game's in the football field because there is no way they're going to be able to fit everybody in uh, in the stands if they want to go to the men's game at uh, when, it, when it's at UAlbany. I mean, hey, we know Syracuse travels well, and that'd be a great little in-state trip about an hour and change up there to see the Great Danes campus. It's kind of like if the football team, you know, actually went to UAlbany. Like, they went to Ohio last year. It's kind—it's not something you see every day, Syracuse going to a smaller school like UAlbany and playing a road game there for, you know, the perennial power that Syracuse is. So it hasn't happened in a long time. I think a lot of people in that community are excited, and the Syracuse community are excited as well. It's really just a loaded schedule, and lacrosse season is going to be fun. It's only a little over a month away. Actually, make it two, two months away. Well, you can always keep in touch with the newest and latest Syracuse news, whether it be lacrosse, football, basketball, or anything else involving the domain of John Wildhack at orangefizz.net and also at orangefizz on Twitter. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Again, have a very, very happy holidays, whatever you might be celebrating. For John Eads, I've been Ian Unsworth. Go Orange, and we'll catch you in the new year. <laughs>